This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. Call to Adventure, hosted by Alexopoulos and John Duckworth, an exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. We are super excited to have with us today a dear friend of ours, Kevin Harrison. Kevin is uh, one of those individuals you will remember for a lifetime. His energy, enthusiasm, creativity, passion, and curiosity are infectious. You might find him painting with oils, shooting photography, playing his ukulele, cooking up a delicious curry, or serenading you around a dinner table. Wherever you find him, he'll be engaged, he'll have a story for you, and you'll feel the warmth of his hug and the gentleness of his soul. And at some point, you'll be bent over with laughter. He's simply a gem of a human being. Kevin is married to Kathy. They have two beautiful children, Maisie and Juliet. They currently reside in Dalkey, the beautiful town 20 minutes outside of Dublin that James Joyce, Van Morrison, Bono, and other creatives have called their home for centuries. He is a true working artist on all levels, but his present day curiosities have him working with film. He recently competed, completed a documentary on Irish fishermen and their superstitions, and is currently working with Black Bear Studios on the production of two television shows titled Supper Club and Remedy Kitchen. He's involved in the creation, the directing, the filming, and the editing. He literally does it all. Pure Kevin. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Good stuff. Love the books that are on your nightstand. Uh, we're intimately familiar with those. Daring Greatly by Brenny Brown, one of my favorites. Uh, what, were, what was your big takeaway from that book? Um, I never realized uh, how often even somebody like myself uh, would hide from moments of vulnerability. Um, I actually thought I was I was running towards those things to you know like I'm, if you're afraid of heights I find myself perching on the top of a building to, mm-hmm. to kind of like prove that I'm not but uh, but in in reading that book and and realizing that uh, it's a natural thing for people to avoid something that's uncomfortable and even if they're unaware that they that they have a level of of uh, discomfort when they're in certain situations. Um, you know, it's smart to 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 avoid something that's going to make you feel uh, negative, but um, at some point you have to uh, not take it too far because then you can let that control you, and then you end up not trying to do the things that you want to accomplish. I found when I was reading that book, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's me, perfectionist." N- you know, vulnerability. It was real eye-opening because I uh, I uh, had a new awareness about who I was after reading that. It's a great book. Um, and and I have you to thank for that book, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And and speaking of books that we both contributed to your to your pile, the uh, John Cabot Zinn, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Uh, another great read, and uh, that one you have on your person at all times right now. Not <laughs> or only just on this trip. Not yeah. Not only uh, is it something that's that that 
both my wife and I have been reading. We, we read it in small, small chunks, actually. Uh, and I brought it on the plane as something, you know, to read. And, um, and I actually hadn't seen uh, the, the questionnaire talking about different books so it's uh, it's even more perfect because that would have been one of the ones i would have chosen anyway oh nice so I well it's ever... interesting because it has that same sort of relationship to what you just talked about with noticing about your relationship to vulnerability it's just mindfulness and having the 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 awareness to pause and take note you know who am i what is this that's happening here and 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 uh it's uh, I, I really love that book too it's full of gems and I have you to thank for that. Buddy. That's right. <laughs> you know, we are looking at your favorite quote. Uh, you got to go with your strengths. Trust your own instincts. Get professional about fun. And find your own reasons to believe. And I read that and I asked John, I was like, that's a great quote. Who wrote that? And he's like, I think that's a Kevin quote. Is, <laughs> is, is that a quote from you? That's a quote of mine uh, from 2002. And uh, I used to, before I had cell phone before I had gone to the point where I always had a cell phone on me, I would uh, be driving and quite often things would occur to me that I've got to remember to do. So when you have a cell phone, you can just call that person and take care of it right then and there. Yeah, but right. for me, I didn't want to, it would be like writing sticky notes, but instead of writing post-it notes, I would write on my arm with Sharpie. And then of I course, I would make it look like Memento, like the movie Memento. So I'd come home just covered with black Sharpie, <laughs> with like call Neil, check on this, and they'd be turned different ways. Um, that's how, is that how that quote came from there? So did you write that quote on your arm yes, one time? Yes, no, as I was driving, I, can, I remember as, you're driving. as I was getting on the uh, on-ramp onto 26 from up towards PDA, actually, before I'd worked for them. Uh, and this so, is when Kathy's going, how did I get involved yeah. with this? What's he that? comes home every He's night got new with tattoos. And I just, yeah, I came home and there on my arm says, you know, you've, you've got to find your own reasons to believe. Meaning because un until you do, there's just somebody else's theory uh, that yeah. you're regurgitating. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's yeah. religion or, or anything. And a lot of people want you to believe what they believe. And I said, you know, it's, it's not real until it makes sense to you. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, that reminds me of another quote going back to that John Kabat-Zinn, wherever you go, there you are. There's that, uh, I tracked this down. It says, uh, note that this journey is uniquely yours, no one else's. So the path has to be your own. You cannot imitate somebody else's journey and still be true to yourself. And uh, you know, this is those little nuggets that come out of that. It reminds me exactly what you're talking about. You know, you have to uh, uh, find your own reasons to believe. And and the thing about getting professional about fun was you know oh, yeah. t turning turning what we did for free for fun at parties at lofts suddenly getting paid to do these things and. Um, and going with your strengths, obviously trying to harness your strengths and your weaknesses uh, to the best of your ability. And then... Um, what do you uh, think those are, your, your strengths? <clears throat> I think there's a lot of Forrest Gump in me in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm oblivious the, to the fact that the odds are against something that I may be trying to do. The odds are against me whether it's going to be possible or not, but because I'm I'm like Forrest Gump, I'm too stupid to realize that, and therefore it happens. It becomes possible. Huh. That's that's a, that's a great segue into the the idea of the inverse paranoid, right? Yeah. Oh, Talk yeah. a little bit about that. I I can't claim uh, responsibility for 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 that uh, coupling of words. I mean, Brian Tracy is he, the guy who I actually 
read that. I, I, I read that from his book, Maximum Achievement, or something like that. But yeah, I, I mean, and I and I've mentioned this before many times, uh, and 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 I'm surprised that people they love it, but they've never heard of the concept before, and uh, it, it's an inverse paranoid simply means that I'm of the distinct belief that the universe is secretly conspiring to do me well. And and if you can live your life that way every day, just expecting the best from people and expecting good things to happen, then there's a better chance of it happening as opposed to the people who just go through life thinking, oh, the whole world's out to get me. And it's funny because it, it, that has in it this idea that some people misinterpret as as sort of you're making these things happen when the the reality probably is closer to the the idea that those things are always there, You're ready open. for you to be to take them or to be presented to you. But because you have putting that intention into the universe, you're just open to them, so you see them. You know, they're they're there already, and you're just seeing them. It's a paradigm shift in awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when you you when you buy a new car, suddenly you see that car yeah, everywhere right. that you didn't really notice it before. It was always there. We're doing that right now, driving the new Toyota Highlander, and Baze is like, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, man. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. I didn't know that. They are everywhere. <laughs> um, so, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'd love to talk about some some adventures some china uh, uh stories and global family field trip but before we do maybe we should uh listen to some portuguese flamenco music from a band called dead combo how did you you hear these guys in in barcelona uh no actually i was watching an anthony bourdain episode oh, right. on lisbon portugal and and the music that was used throughout that particular episode was this band called Dead Combo, and they filmed them performing, weaved it into the edit, and then eventually had food with them. You sat down with them and, and was nice. talking with them. Not so much about their music, just about the culture. So I, I just did a quick search, found them, and, and loved their atmospheric kind of... And it's just a two-piece, as you refer to them as, Pulp Fiction-esque. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. All right, let's hear them.
right. Well, welcome back to Ohm Charleston 96.3. We're here with Kevin Harrison, John Duckworth here with Alex Opolos, and uh, uh, maybe we're going to head over to China. Tell us how that happened. What year was this? That was 2004 um, that my wife and I, well, full disclosure, 2003, my family and I, uh, my wife and I, um, decided we wanted to try and have children. And after uh, attempting, uh, it did not happen. And as we were driving down the street one day, my wife just said to me out of the blue, what do you think about adopting from China? And I had never you thought... You hadn't been thinking about I had never thought anything about adopting from China. It hadn't even occurred to me. And I was, I was floored. And I, and I looked at her, I'm like, where did this come from? She's like, well, I'm just thinking about that, you know, because I have my friend who did that, and it was such a you know positive experience, and and I said, you're going to have to let me think about that. So that was the end of that conversation. A couple weeks later, I came back after you know a lot of soul searching, and um, came in. I said, you know what? I've been thinking about it. Let's do it. Yes, yeah. I'm in. And she said, really? I said, yes. She's like, oh, I'm so glad to hear it. And she pulls out this huge three-ring binder, color-coded, <laughs> and everything's already got little tabs on it. For you to it sign? It's all for me to sign. It's like a 165-page PDF document <laughs> that she's already filled out, and she's all ready to, to, to go for it. And she's, she's she, she knew I was going to say yes. She knew you would go for it, yeah. yeah. She just had to give you a minute to process, let it sink. But it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to both of us. Uh, and it was pretty, you know, we call it like a 14, 14-month 14 gestation period because it was 14 months from the time that we started signing paperwork and, and saving money and going through the process uh, to traveling to China and uh, bringing home our oldest daughter, Maisie. Who's so, now 12? Who's now 12 years yeah. old. It's unbelievable. Uh, you go back how many years later to adopt your second daughter? Four years later, in 2008, mm -hmm. we went back to China uh, to bring her sister home, Juliet. And uh, so whereas Maisie was 10 months old when she was uh, adopted, uh, Juliet was uh, significantly older. She was almost three. She was two and three quarters. And uh, she had to have some surgeries and things like that, which I think was part of the reason why um, she hadn't been adopted. Uh, Not the at, best conditions that she was in, though, as far as the, the actual place where she was? Or was it just the, the time we, spent? We actually never got to see um, oh, you never did. The, the, the location. We did for Macy. We didn't for Jules. Okay. But okay. Um, it was... Uh, she, she was definitely um, malnourished and, yeah. and was uh, severely delayed in her development. They said that she loved to watch TV and which she didn't she wanted nothing to do with tv and she oh, was, really? yeah she was she was still in diapers and couldn't chew solid food so led us to believe that it was easier just to kind of like set her in front of a tv and give her a bottle so muscles in her mouth hadn't been formed from chewing food cuz it's only mm. it was only in that sucking uh, motion but um so it was an intense uh, experience. It was an intense uh, year after that, 2009. It was actually one of the toughest lot, uh, years of, 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 of our experience because of all the uh, things that she had to go through, physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy. And that was also the time that the world suddenly got really poor. 
I oh, wasn't yeah. really painting. People weren't buying art. It, you know, it was it was a it was an intensely uh, trying year to say the least. And so, you know, not long after this, you decide, well, let's go travel the world. <laughs> I, I mean, is that is is having you know, parent being a parental figure for two young girls from China? I know you wanted them to be aware of their culture. Um, so, is that what sort of cracks the door open to this concept of? taking a global family field trip? Well, uh, 2009, we went to Dublin to see you 2 And it was soon after we got back that my wife, Kathy, um, decided that she wanted to leave TV once and for all. And she'd been working in, in television news as, a, as a, a reporter, an anchor, an executive producer, and finally left. And... She said to me, I feel like we're, we're, we're at our best when we're on one of our adventures because we'd done some traveling and obviously China a couple of times. So it was pretty, um, pretty eye-opening. And she said, I feel like we're at our best. I feel like I'm most alive when we're on one of our adventures. And I said, yeah, but, you know, we're on vacation when we're at these places. So, 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 of course, you know, you're going to feel alive. She said, well, no, there's got to be a way that we can, like, sustain that. Huh. And so it was really, it was her idea. And, and that's when she, she said, what if we were to sell our house, uh, homeschool the girls, and, and, and travel around the world for two years? And, and she said, you know, we could, we could teach them empathy. We could, you know, expose them to different cultures. And, you know, we could make documentaries, short documentaries. We could, so we came up with this 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 grand plan, and we called it the Global Family Field Trip. dot com. dot <laughs> com. That's right. <laughs> and um, and at first, it was just something we talked about ourselves, and then eventually, we started to tell some friends, and then we started to tell a few more friends, and and eventually, it felt like we were we were telling people in hopes of trying to will this into existence. Uh, eventually, we became pretty obsessed with this. Um, sadly, two years later, our house still had not sold. It was during the worst uh, housing slump in in recent decades, if not yeah. the, the century. Yeah. Um, and so we started to think, you know, are we kidding ourselves? Are we kidding ourselves? Were, were, were we not really meant to go on this this epic adventure? And right around that time, somebody said, well, you know, I love the house, but you know the roof looks old and it was it was a 1920 house so in order to put a roof on the on the house we had to take out a a, a home improvement loan which at the state of the economy they they weren't giving loans if your house was on the market so as a technicality we had to take it off the market which really stung because it felt like a the end of the dream yeah well basically we were thinking oh no is it is it really mm. not going to happen because now we're one step farther away from where we were taking yeah. the house and off you, the and, market and you've already told everybody this you're doing this mm -hmm. yeah but i've always done that i yeah. always told people of the things of i course. want to do part of partly because then i have to do it otherwise yeah. then i look like like i'm blowing smoke you know right. but um so we put the roof on, and we end up uh, banging out uh, walls in the kitchen. Uh, my brother-in-law um, um, is a fantastic contractor, and he he made us a modernist, minimalist, fantastic kitchen that we fell in love with. So at that moment, we started to fall back in love with the house, and I've, I've often said that um, for the first time in two-plus years, we stopped trying so hard to push this global family field trip concept 
And I said, it's, I've often said it's like a guy who's trying to find a girlfriend, but he's trying too hard and he's scaring off the girls. Maybe we were trying too hard. So in that moment, when we let go, we started to think, well, maybe we weren't meant to travel right now. You know, maybe the universe had other plans for us. And it was as soon as we essentially let go, as soon as we let go of that idea, it was like a day later, the phone rang, the universe called, and it was <laughs> in the form of a phone call from, from my wife's uh, company, Airbnb, uh, and asked if we would consider moving our family abroad. And so we're like, hot damn, it's back on. <laughs> it's on, we're yeah. going. What a trip. So as soon as you let go of everything, which is, which is one of those things that, that I have found is so true, you know, to like, it's so nice to, to, to choose a direction to go in Come, come up with some goal, but then just let go of the outcome and, and see what happens. And it takes a bit of the weight off the process. So as soon as you drop the weight, bam, here comes the dream knocking on your door. And try and stop trying to control it. Yeah, right, right. And so, and so it took you to, to, to Barcelona. Yeah, we, so, yeah. We, so we, in 2012, we moved to Barcelona, which was just the life shift uh, that I could never have anticipated, and uh, and on some level we've never quite shifted back. Yeah, and you mentioned being able to have anonymity again. Yeah, I thought which that I was interesting. Supposes potentially a double-edged sword to be in a, a, a great, liberating experience on one hand, but then could probably also in, invite some challenges in a foreign country not speaking the language. Ah uh, no, not, not so much. Yeah, I will say not so much. It, no, it, 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 it was good. I, somehow, uh, I loved it. I yeah. loved uh, being a ghost. Nobody knew who I was, you know. Uh, and and living in Charleston for almost eighteen years, I got to know quite a lot of people. And sometimes my girls, my daughters, would be like, "Oh, you have to like <laughs> talk to somebody else if you're in a grocery store." <laughs> right. It, so that just didn't happen right. anymore. We, we uh, were we, we were well, I was, a luxury. Yeah, huh. it, it didn't happen other than the first day. Tell oh, yeah. the story of the first day you land in Barcelona. Well, I mean, uh, along the lines of trying to will something into existence, um, I, I, and being the inverse paranoid and thinking that the world is out to do you well. The first day we arrive in Barcelona, I mean, we're we're about as happy as as, as you can be, and we we checked into uh, the place that we were staying, and decided to go scope out the neighborhood, and eventually sat down at a cafe like one block from our house, and and had our first drink and some jamón and some manchego and and just oh, yeah. were like toasting like we're here, we can't believe we it. it, we're really here. We, we're just it's just my wife and I and my two daughters and. Um, then they started playing climbing on a statue and these two girls came over and basically said you know we work for a magazine could we do an interview with you and right then the the waiter came over and said senor and pointed to my camera and he's like be careful of your camera uh, because there's a lot of pickpockets and sometimes people come up to you to distract you and, and, uh, and grab okay. something so yeah. for a second I was thinking okay are these women for real you know, they just, I just got here and suddenly immediately they're like, we would love to interview you for an article in our magazine, which turned out to be Psychology's magazine, which is a national magazine in Spanish. Yeah. And, um, and, but then when they heard my voice, they heard my accent, they said, oh, I'm sorry, we, we can't uh, interview you because you know, you're American, uh, you're a tourist. We can only interview people who actually live here in Barcelona. And I said, well, well, actually, uh, my family and I just moved here today. And so technically, I, I do live here and, and I am 
from Barcelona. I'm a local. Yeah, I'm a local. Right. Now, you know, and they were like, oh, that's fantastic because the article is about living in the moment. Oh, man. Uh, and so we, they interviewed me with an iPhone and then we took me around the corner, did a photo shoot in front of this huge mural, which was fantastic. And then a few months later, uh, after meeting uh, a couple and watching fireworks on the beach, uh, she sent a message to my wife saying, it's so strange, I just m met you last night, and then here I am in the library today, and I open up my favorite magazine, and there is a full page picture of your husband <laughs> and an article, and so she took a picture and sent it to us. And, uh, you have such a knack for, uh, for those sorts of things happening to you. So, so, that, <clears throat> so much so that when you told me that that happened, my response, and I'm sure everybody's response was, of course. <laughs> Of course, of course, <laughs> that's the way you rolled into Barcelona, right? I mean, so you go great. from Barcelona because you, you love Barcelona. You actually lived outside in a in a coastal town called Sitges, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. um, and then about a year after that stint, moved to Ireland. Well, no, actually, a year after that, we, 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 yeah, we moved back to the states for ten months. Um, um, basically, we had to get some work visas sorted, and in that time. Um, Airbnb opened up um, their EU headquarters in Dublin, and um, my wife has been working with Airbnb uh, since 2011. So she's she's one of the early uh, employees. She's she's the thirtieth employee at the company, and now they're over you know pushing two thousand. Who employees. knew? Right. She certainly didn't at the beginning of that, but she had a good hunch, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. Um, um, and, and so that's what brought us to, to Dublin. Chapter two of Global Family yeah, Field Trip. Yeah, suddenly the Global Family Field Trip rides again. <laughs> and, but this time we, you know, we're, we're, we're not uh, on the Mediterranean, we're on the Irish Sea. And uh, Dublin, as cool as the city is, we, we wanted to recreate the, the formula that we felt fit us the best while we were in Spain, was rather than living right in the city of Barcelona, we, we opted to live just south of the city center in a, in a smaller, more idyllic Spanish storybook-esque town right on, right, on the, right on the Mediterranean. And so when we moved to Dublin, we decided to do the same thing. And this, this little village that's just south uh, of Dublin city center is called Dalky, D-A-L-K-E-Y. I'd never heard of it, but uh, it's, it's part of us now. And, and my wife heard of it, of course, because she is a freak U2 fan. That's right. And, uh, um, and Bono lives there, and The Edge lives there, and, and Anya has a castle there, and there's a lot of musicians who, who've chosen to live just outside of, of, of Dublin. And, and ironically, you mentioned that, that like, uh, there was a concert in Dublin that kind of triggered this idea in Kathy's mind originally. And here you are, you know, years later, you find yourself living... She seems right to there. be the planter of the seeds. She is <laughs> the planter of the seeds. And you mentioned that she's at less risk averse than you are. She's fearless. Yeah, I think she's. I think she's more fearless than I am. And yeah. and uh, it was it was her who who suggested that we 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 bought our first house. It was her who suggested that that we we sell that house and get that great house that we had for ten years. It was her who suggested that we go to China and, and, and adopt a child, and and then it was her who suggested we move to to Barcelona and, and also, you know, to to, to and Dublin. You're just Forrest Gump along for the ride. Right? I'm, just, I'm just I'm just sitting back like John Belushi pouring mustard on my own chest, <laughs> 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 going whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm in. <laughs> 
So you're 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 on this global. Thing. It's happening. It, you know, um, Barcelona, Sitges, Tadalki, Ireland. Two couldn't be two different cultures. I'm curious as to what what's the knowledge that you've gained and some of the obstacles and hurdles about living, not nomadically, but certainly with a, a global view. Um, as far as negatives, the the negatives have been just missing close friends. And uh, because the, eventually some of the novelty wore off while we were in Spain, and only f at those moments when I, I so wanted to turn to somebody next to me and say, can you believe this? Can you believe <laughs> what we're looking at? But th there's nobody there because I was there by myself. So I was experiencing a lot of this stuff solo. Nobody there to corroborate my story. Yeah, right. Uh, and that was one mm. thing that, that I missed. And so any chance I had of somebody to come over, I couldn't wait to show off this, this new secret world that I had discovered. And now had had started to clock it, and, and I knew my way around, and I felt like a bit of a local, and my Spanish, as bad as it was, you know, I could, I could get by. Yeah. Um, but the, the only downside was, was, was feeling, uh, as much as I liked being anonymous, then eventually... Uh, and, and, and even in Ireland, that gets old too, because then you, you, you're, you're, it's kind of like self-imposed isolation, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and you had just tap, like tapped into a year on Isle of Palms in between, and had a pretty solid remember, remembrance and reminder of all the great people you're surrounded by here, and then you go back to Docky. Or moved to Docky for yeah. the first time. Yeah. And of course, it's it is an idyllic village, we but you don't have the same level of connection. We've talked a lot about that recently. Just so you're you're in Dalky, you're a little bit isolated. It's a much different mindset, probably than Sichez. Um, and yet, some of your most inspiring creative work has come out of that place. Yeah, I think. Well, I, I have a lot of time to dwell. <laughs> you know, in my backyard, staring up at the steeple of this church that overlooks uh, where we live. We live right in the center of the village, the equivalent of living like on King Street. Um, and and. Um, but the but the pluses of of living in Europe and living in more ancient uh, ancient settings is my sudden um, not, maybe not understanding but a perspective on time because you know in the states you know the oldest thing is about two hundred two hundred fifty years old uh, the the country itself most of the things that you you're going to encounter. And that seems that seems like a long time, 250 years. That is a long time. But when you live in Europe um, and you go, you know, see things that are that are 1,200 years old, or markets that have been there for for a thousand years, or or caves that have been there for 15,000 years, or, or it, it, it's mind blowing um, when that becomes normal. And if something mm. happens, and I, I don't know if I can uh, articulate it well enough, but something happens to your perspective on your place uh, in in time in the continuum huh. yeah it's interesting i was just uh, uh so i know that your daughters did uh uh go to school in a castle so that's another unique perspective on time <laughs> and uh but going back to what you just brought up about creative process and being in this new place in Dawkey and the work that you're doing right now, I'd like to get into that for a little bit, but that's a good segue to put on one more bit of musical interlude here, which uh, uh, you've actually agreed to supply us live in studio. First time. First time. So let's do that. Big Bad Bill, right? Yeah. Is that the Big Bad Bill. Title of the tune. 
down yonder in Louisville Lived a cat named Big Bad Bill I wants to tell ya oh, The cat was rough and tough He could strut his stuff Had the whole town scared to death When he walked by they all held their breath He's a fighting man sure enough But then Bill got himself a wife Now he leads a different life Big Bad Bill is sweet William now Married life done changed him somehow He's the man the town used to fear Now the old come sweet Baba Willie dear Stronger than Samson I declare Till the brown skinned woman bobbed his hair Big Bad Bill don't fight anymore No he don't He's doing the dishes Mopping up that floor Well he used to go out drinking Looking for a fight Now he's got to see that sweet woman every night Big Bad Bill is sweet William now Oh playboys up that floor yes he is well he used to go out drinking looking for a fight now he's gotta see that sweet woman every night big bad bill is sweet william now Love that rendition. Thank you. It's a nice treat. Nice Live treat. music in the studio. First time ever for us. Um, so let's talk a little bit about creative process. Um, you work with, you know, your painter, your photographer, your filmmaker, your director, you're an editor. Um, how, do, how does creative process work for you? I don't have as as structured uh, a process as I probably should have, uh, but um, what, you know, the way I paint or the way I edit video uh, are, are are quite similar in the sense that there's a there's there's more of an element of reactiveness than I than I would care to admit. Um, there's a certain amount of planning that goes into it, but then at some point you just got to do it and not overanalyze it and go on intuition painting that way as well and editing tends to uh tends to reveal itself to me every few seconds of the new video um so I, yes i do have a, a a game plan but a lot of times i just deviate from that because when i'm into the mix it just seems yeah, to make great. more sense you know a good place to go back is maybe uh you're born and raised in buffalo right no in corning corning, corning new york okay Move down to uh, Charleston. You're working at Blackbaud, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and you sort of, for the first time, jump ship uh, and begin to think of yourself as a working creative. What, 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 and John, I think you were involved with that sort of. Yeah, I remember Kevin transition. coming over for 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 some uh, for some advice and discussion about that. It was a big. I could feel the pressure building in you in that in that moment. 
I mean, um, I think I was looking for examples of success. And I started interviewing people who, who had made that leap of faith, who did work for themselves. John uh, was, was, was a big inspiration in that because he, he had been doing it for a year. He, he, he quit his job um, and went full-time artist. And he took the leap of faith, and it was working for him. So that gave me uh, faith that it could potentially, you know, happen for me. When you see it, when you see success, it, it gives you the chance uh, to believe that it could happen for you. So I started interviewing other people, architects, designers, Gil Schuler, Neil Stevenson, um, and just people who I respected who who were working for themselves. And I needed to just hear them say, yeah, this is possible. Yeah, you should really consider doing this. What was the first medium you were working with? Um, I was an illustrator, really. So I started off as a pen and ink guy, you know, uh, comic books, really. Uh, And then just crazy illustrations with rapidograph fine-point pens. So I didn't really start painting, really painting, until I was 22. Hmm. You know, the, my first painting I did when I was 22. Hmm. Um, and it's just hard to believe that it's 25 years ago. <laughs> Still painting. Still painting. You've got quite a few to finish before the end of the year, I hear. I do. I have a few commissions to do finish yeah. before Christmas when I get back. Um, well, I think going back to Big Bad Bill and creative process, I find that it's so interesting because that song, of course, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's just about this transformation of an individual and, and, and you've undergone a similar process in your life growing up in Corning, New York. Um, of course, you spent time in Malaysia before you were kind of set up shop in Corning with your parents there. And at one point, you described yourself as like a all-black-wearing Metallica head who was angry and wanting to fight. Yeah, a little bit of a meathead. <laughs> Playing football. Play, yeah, played football. And, uh, and, yeah, we were just... I think when you're in those cold... Uh, when they were in those cold states or those cold countries... Uh, it does something to your toughness because mm. you kind of have to be a little bit tougher. Everything is a little bit more rugged. Everything hurts a little bit more when you're when you're in below freezing temperature for four months of the year um, versus when you're in relaxed, sunny, you know, sand between your toes, right. Spain or Charleston. Well, describe that moment you mentioned earlier about when you when you had a specific transition. Grateful Dead show. It was a Grateful Dead show. Okay, okay. <laughs> it sounds pretty cliche. Hey, uh, and there were there were some substances involved. There were some uh, new doors of perception. Oh and, yeah, and, and Metallica went out the door, or at least the All Black went out the door. One weekend we went to go see Metallica in Rochester, New York. Had a great time. Um, and the very next weekend, we went to see The Grateful Dead with Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young in 1990 uh, at Rich Stadium, where the Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. play. And it was incredible. And uh, I went in wearing a cutoff, you know, almost half shirt. <laughs> it was all muscles. You know, and I had a band- long hair, I had a long hair bandana, but I looked kind of like a bouncer. Course. You know, uh, compared to them, by the time I came out, I had like f- my flannel was on. I was in jeans and flip flops, and my hair was behind my ears. And suddenly, I looked a lot more like a hippie. 
uh, now you know part of that was just uh, uh, feeling the moment. Part of that was wanting to fit in, possibly. But really, but it stuck because it, you ended up going to rainbow gatherings yeah. and 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 going to more dead shows and and yeah. uh, sort of putting a lot of that other stuff behind you i never was a real grateful dead head i became a rainbow head for a while was going to these rainbow gatherings out in the woods and uh, cooking free food and you know talking native americans and and hari krishnas and you know at times thirty-five thousand people out in the woods sometimes bathing naked it was no money all barter Mm -hmm. and uh and and it all started with that one night uh, at rich stadium and it and, and mu- music and all kinds of other creative processes happening along the way in the, at those gatherings. Oh yeah, sort of like the original Burning Man. You drum know, circles, just, yeah. drumming all night long by a fire. Sometimes people being, you know, some girl that I don't know sitting next to me, rocking out to the to the drumming, just and then finally it just she just feels them and she just stands up and takes off all of her clothes and just starts dancing by the fire. And I was like, wow, I am definitely. In a, in a different world. I'm in a new world. I'm, yeah, I'm in a new world here. And, 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 <laughs> I'm going to spend more time here. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so there was a shift. I, I guess that would have been the, the first shift uh, uh, from, from, from the 18, 19-year-old version of myself um, to, to what eventually turned into the artist. Because mm. a lot of my friends, when I was in high school, they, they didn't know that I was into art. Okay, uh, and uh, so I wasn't I wasn't running around uh, waving my freak flag. Uh, if anything, I was I was w- hiding it. I was playing football. Yeah, right. You know, which which is my friends were like my friends who know me now are surprised that I played football. My friends who knew me then were surprised that I'm an artist now. Because yeah. it's that, that. It's nice to be able to make those transitions, though. I mean, it, and and uh, it's not always seamless. But from there, once you did start flying your freak flag, uh, uh, you've flown it with pride and we all love you for it man (laughs) and you've gone like from this medium to another and to another and it's like the new sort of a uh multidisciplinary renaissance artist it's not just this one directional thing which is really nice and and you've been able to do it so well and and transitioning that now into from doing editing and shooting and video and now there's tv shows are happening Mm -hmm. which uh two of them which are pretty exciting supper club mm-hmm. and uh remedy kitchen right and if anybody who's listening can hear a sweet laughter in the background is karen antos o'hara who uh is in the studio with us who you were just shooting uh a pilot for we just got out of uh, a shoot with karen all day today we've been filming with her since we got back, since i got back last week uh, for a show called remedy kitchen which is um it's a cooking show, but it's a cooking and travel show that will will uh, focus around Ayurvedic uh, practices and healing foods, and and um, we're pretty excited about it because it's it seems to be something that is relevant and not yet done by somebody else. And the other show is called Supper Club, which is um, uh, an idea that I came up with thanks to Black Bear Studios. Um, I received a call saying would you be interested in creating some cooking shows? And so I, I said yes, and the first idea I had was to do one that chronicled you know, pop-up supper clubs around the world. And so thanks to Warren Ostergaard, uh, he found the funding, he found the money for us to be able to go and film two, 
episodes, and the first episode was in Barcelona, and the second episode was in Dublin, Ireland, and other other parts of Ireland as well. So does that feel like a, a does this feel like a natural progression for you as you move from, you know, uh, a comic book sketching to TV shows? Well, it feels like a natural thing to do because of the fact that we had launched off on this whole global family travel thing and and because I do love to cook and because we have made friends and contacts in other countries in Europe and and my family being from Malaysia and Singapore and having contacts in Australia and Thailand and all these different places that there's there's uh it just seems like this was meant to be and yeah and, everything's lining up really mm-hmm. nicely and each episode, you know, we'll go to a different city. We'll profile a series of, of chefs that are that are doing these pop-ups, and uh, and and with my wife working for Airbnb, with all the her friends that are from, you know, there's a group of Italian-speaking people that she works with. There's a group of people who speak Russian. There's people, you know, so there's people from pretty all much every country that's not yeah. a, a war-torn nation um, that work in her office. And, and, and this isn't the first time you've you've been making uh, uh, producing excellent videos. I mean, all the way back to that first Axe promotional video you did for the Axe body spray, that to, through to the Red Bull documentary that was uh, uh, award winning at the at the Indie Film Festival in New York. Mm-hmm. And so now this isn't your first rodeo. So it's got to feel it's got to feel good though to get into a project that has the potential for a long run. Yeah, and 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 we're we're really keeping our fingers crossed. Uh, we've been having meetings with uh, with uh, content providers, uh, large content providers, and and if things go the way we hope they will, um, we'll be off to the races soon. And and you know, Cuba, Ravello, uh, Italy, uh, Thailand, you know, nice. sky's the limit. Um, lovely to have you back for just a little bit for a week here and then back over uh, to Europe. Um, one of the last quotes I want to leave our audience with as we, uh, we exit to our next song is, uh, don't talk yourself out of your own crazy ideas. And that's an original Kevin that's Harrison. That's an original Kevin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, you're pretty good at not talking yourself out of those. As for refusals of call, he listed, None. I never <laughs> have refused a call. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, awesome he's got a good partner here, in crime with, right. with with Kathy. So former member of Neglected Sheep, uh, good to have you here, and uh, uh, always good to spend time with you. Great thank, energy. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Exciting yeah. to see what happens with these new uh, TV shows. Hey, fingers crossed. Yeah, man. Look for us. That's a that's a wrap for our Kevin Harrison discussion, and we're going to close this out with a, a final tune. And Kevin, tell us what it is. Um, Sigaros is a band from Iceland that we've become very fond of over the last four or five years, and my daughters um, listen to it so often that I think they're probably starting to get a little tired of it. But it's uh, it's atmospheric and beautiful and dreamy and. Uh, um, all you have to do is put on some cigarettes on your headphones, hop on your bike, and uh, everything turns into uh, an epic movie. Nice. And Maisie and Jules will, will look back and Kevin listen to it. that later and, and remember those fond times in, in Docky and Sea Chase. That's right. Enjoy.
Cigarass. Cigarass. What, what can you say about Kevin Harrison? He's just, uh, you know, we're, we're an audio element here, so people are going to hear Kevin. But for those of us who have been fortunate enough to meet him, he's just one of those rare people. Absolutely. And it's just been so nice to be able to pull him out of his sh shell today. Yeah, yeah. He's he, so he, shy. Right. <laughs> Big Bad Bill, John Belushi, Forrest Gump. I love and it. And two quotes from Kevin Harris. I love it. Right. I love it. Well, to add to two quotes from Kevin Harrison, I have a third, which I think uh, sums up his personality quite well. Uh, I did a little research and found this one. And he said, when somebody asked him something about a life philosophy, and he said, I'm a firm believer that there's power in putting intention out into the universe. If you go through life expecting the good in people and great possibility, there's a great chance of that happening. And you get that with him. You, re you really do. And you it happens. You, you roll and, into and, Barcelona and, and, and you end up on you know full-page spread on uh, uh, Kevin Harrison moves to Barcelona. Yeah, it doesn't surprise any of us, does it? Right. You, know? it's right. Real, it's, you can learn a lot from just uh, that... Uh, sort of uh, joie de vivre or, you know, energy or I don't, I don't know what you want to call it. But I think there's just a certain, it's, it's that thing that I go back to that honestly I learn a lot from Kevin, which is to set a direction. You know, Ken Wilber talks about the telos of the universe and, and, and that it's unfolding. But it's, it's, it's already unfolding. So you can set this direction and then at the same time you got to kind of let go right. and enjoy the ride. And I, I feel like, you know, that's to the John Belushi quote, that it has that element to it. You know, Kevin likes to make it seem like it's this, like he's this big dumb guy, but right. that's not right. true at no, all. No. It's actually the smartest position to, to be in. It's smart enough to realize that you just take a step back and let it unfold and, and enjoy the ride rather than fighting against 
all the potential unexpected things that, that are going to derail you. But it does seem like you go back to um, taking the house off the market and, and, the yeah. end, and the end of the dream and then the reopening of it all. And it's sort of been exponential from there. It's uh, yeah, yeah. how it's unfolded. And, you know, I mean, we're fortunate enough to, to watch where it goes. Right. And how much sweeter is the trip when you thought it was done? Right. And then suddenly it reappears, you know? Right. So there's, there's a lesson there too, I suppose. But, uh, yeah. Well, you know, thanks for spending another hour of your time with us. Hope you enjoyed uh, a special dear friend to both John and I, Kevin Harrison. And, uh, and remember, you can always uh, find us online at OM Radio. I think it's OMRadioCharleston.org. And then uh, streaming uh, podcasts on iTunes, Call to Adventure. That's right, official. Yeah. All Cheers. Right. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.